Today I've entitled the message, The Good Fight of Faith, and we're going to pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 11. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 11. He says, But you, man of God, flee from all this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. The good fight of faith, the reality is we are all in a fight. We are all in a spiritual battle. There's a man by the name of Jack Handy, supposedly he was involved, I think, with Saturday Night Live, which I don't think I ever watched an episode of Saturday Night Live. But anyhow, he wrote a book, an odd book entitled Fuzzy Memories. And in his book, he relates the story of a bully who demanded his lunch money every day when he was a child. Because Handy was smaller than the bully, he simply gave the bully his money. But then he said, I decided to fight back. He said, I started taking karate lessons, but the instructor wanted $5 a lesson. That was a lot of money. He said, I found it was cheaper to pay the bully, so he gave up karate. <laughs> Unfortunately, many Christians have the same attitude about Satan and the temptations that come their way. And you think it's easier to pay the bully than to learn how to fight him. But I have great encouragement for every one of us. God has given us in his word four strategies for waging a good warfare in the battle for our faith. Four strategies. And these are not strategies that, well, I hope they work. I just hope in the midst of the fiery attack that these strategies actually work. You know what? These are proven strategies. They've already been lived out by many people who have lived and died for their faith. These strategies work, and if we put these strategies to work in our lives, I guarantee you we will have spiritual victory in our life no matter what Satan throws at us. And he will throw everything he has at us. I remember years ago living in our house in uh, Virginia, we had a single car garage, which the car never made it into the garage because that was our shed. We didn't have winners like you guys had. We didn't have winter. So we didn't have to worry about, you know, putting the car in the garage. And so that was our shed. But I, I was in the garage one day and I was going out the back access door. And right off the back stoop of the door was about a four foot long black snake. I don't like snakes. I don't know about you, but I have a, a hatred for snakes. And so I got out a shovel, a nice long shovel. And he was kind of enjoying himself in the sun. And then I finally got up the courage and I just lunged at him and hit him with the shovel. And I, man, I knocked him in half and 
he was not happy for, for a little while, and then he was dead. Um, killed him. But I was able to come up from behind and take his life. We have to understand that Satan is wise in his strategies. He wants to come at us from behind and attack us. He wants to blindside us and get us on the side that we're not paying attention to. And so when we think about strategies, when I look up the definition of strategy, it's a careful plan or method for achieving a particular goal, usually over a long period of time. There's a plan or method to achieve this goal over a long period of time. You see, most people wake up on Monday morning and they have no strategy for the spiritual battle they're gonna face that day or that week. And you know, I needed a shovel in my hand to battle the snake. God has put something in our hands, these strategies, to battle the enemy. And we need to put them in our hands and use them. I'm gonna give you the four and then we're gonna unpack each one of them because they're all important. The first one might surprise you. The first one is flee. Sometimes we just have to run. And that's a, that's a good strategy. Secondly, follow. And we'll talk about what that means. Thirdly, fight. And fourthly, focus. These are the four strategies that God gives us in his word that Paul gives to Timothy. And he starts off in verse 11. He says, but you, man of God. Notice the word but is a contrast. He's contrasting Timothy, the righteous preacher, from the false teachers. He's saying, Timothy, what is true of the false teachers is not true of you because you are a man of God. You are pursuing after the heart of God. That's what you need to do. You need to teach and preach the truth. You, Timothy, are a man of God. And because you are a man of God, you need to do these strategies in your life. The first strategy is to flee. We flee sinful people, their activities and desires. Now, it doesn't mean we don't rub shoulders with sinful people at all. We should. We will. <laughs> we walk out the doors. We fellowship with each other. We're all sinful people in that regard. But there are sinful people who are out to pull other people down, to pull Christians away from their faith. Young people, you know this. You go to a party and what happens? They want to hand you a bottle. They want to hand you a weed. They want you to look at pornography. They try some way to pull you away from what you know to be true. And you have to flee. Don't go to the party. Stay away from it. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And what did he do? Stay there and say, well, I can handle this. I'm a man. No, he ran. The Bible says he ran. He did not want to do this wickedness before God, and he ran. Sometimes the best strategy you have is to run, to get out of that environment, out of that context, and to get with other people who can help you. The heresy of these false teachers, they were sinful people, they were divisive in their teaching, and they had a desire for material wealth. If we go back... Earlier in the chapter, notice the characteristics of the false teachers and their false doctrine. Look in verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines, does not agree with the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ, godly teaching, he's conceited, understands nothing, unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. 
You see, they were, they were, they were driven by covetousness. They wanted money. They wanted material wealth. They wanted possessions for what they wanted to do. And yet in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says flee from sexual immorality. It talks about fleeing from it, run away from it. Don't try to get close to it. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here is another part of fleeing. You flee from something to something, and you flee from the evil people to the good people, to the godly people. You want to surround yourself with godly people in the church. Young people, some of the best strategy you can do is to invite one of the older saints out in this church and sit down with them and say, tell me some strategies I can use in my life that will help me overcome peer pressure, temptation. What did you use? How did it work in your life? Because one of the things I did as a, a young dad, even though I was a pastor, I would take older dads out for coffee and I would say, tell me what you did in raising your boys, what worked, what didn't work, what was good, what wasn't good because I want to learn from you. And one of the best things you can do, young people, is take that older person. You say, well, they don't want to be with me. You know what? You might be surprised. You might be absolutely surprised that they want to pour into you, and that's biblical, older teaching the younger. It's so important. We can learn and glean so much wisdom. Older guys teaching younger guys, older ladies teaching younger ladies. And how important it is. We flee to those things. But notice he says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Because why? Our walk with God is a community project. We do not walk in isolation. We walk in community. That's what God has designed. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's what God has provided for us. But let's look at the strategy of the enemy. How does he work? There's a downward spiral of seeking wealth and possessions, and there's three things that happen. When we hang around sinful people, their activities and desires, here's what happens. We're enticed. We're enticed. Good people can be enticed with amassing wealth and possessions. You want an example? Go no further than the Old Testament. Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, was told to go out and destroy the Amalekites. He was told to destroy them and everything that belonged to them, men, women, children, infant, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. Saul was to go in and destroy everything. But what did he do? He went in and he kept the best sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. And yet Saul, I think, started off good. But what happened? He was enticed by what he saw. Good people can be enticed. Ananias and Sapphira, I think, were good people. They were members in the church. Good people. Church people. Bringing money in to give to the church. That's good. But they didn't give. And they were deceitful in what they were bringing forward. They were enticed. We can be enticed. Allison Stewart, a former reporter and news anchor, she spent three years investigating 
America's unhealthy obsession with stuff. If you look back in our text, in verse 9 of chapter 6, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many hurtful, foolish, and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, and I might even say good people, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So this Alison Stewart did some research and she looked at America's love affair with stuff and she examined the private lives and profitable businesses associated with our craving for consumer goods. And here's what she explains. She talked about self-storage. It's a big business. It generates more than 24 billion in revenue in 2014. The United States is home to reportedly 48,500 to 52,000 self-storage units. That's about 2.3 billion square feet of storage. Because we want stuff. And there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as that stuff doesn't inhibit our relationship with God. And yet so many times it can. You see, the goal and enticement is trickery. The enemy wants to trick us into believing that what we're involved in is a good thing. Just like a lure deceives a fish, so riches and possessions blind us to what we should be chasing after. Because if a fish chases a fishing lure, what happens? It gets caught. It's danger. It wanted to be fed. It wanted a belly full a fish, but it went after the wrong thing. And what does Satan do? Let me give an example. Here's a fishing lure that Satan uses in families for wealth and possessions. And some of you may know of people that have been involved in this. A fishing lure Satan uses for families can be their parents' inheritance. There have been some nasty, knockdown, drag-out fights over parents' possessions. Satan pulls the family members in so they can only focus on the lure of money and stuff. Another fishing lure Satan uses is lottery tickets. Say, oh my goodness, now he's going to meddling. <laughs> Some Christians will buy lottery tickets and justify it by saying, well, if we win, we'll give a lot of money to the church. <laughs> That's a good thing. No, gambling is a bad thing. It's called gambling. And God's not for it. The point is, Satan has a thousand hooks on which to catch people and reel them into his grip. And it may not be money, it may be something else. For young people, it may be sex, it may be peer pressure, it may be drugs, it may be alcohol, it may be any number of those things, but those things, when they get a hook in you, they get a hold of you, and they pull you in, and here's what happens. You move from enticement to entanglement. You get entangled. When you get entangled, you can't get loose. It traps you, it binds you. You can't escape. It starts off innocent, but now you're hooked. It was a small spark, but now it's a fire out of control. Achan was enticed with a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold. 
Here's what he says in Joshua 7:21. I coveted them and took them, and he hid them. Some of you saw the movie Courageous, and the police officer who felt like he wasn't making enough money. So what's he do? He starts confiscating some of the drugs for himself to sell them, to make more money. It's all about coveting. Instead of trusting God to meet his needs. We move from entanglement to envelopment, where we get enveloped. It surrounds a person entirely. Look at our text again in 6.9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. That's the enticement, where you fall into temptation. And then a trap. That is entanglement. And many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, that's envelopment. It surrounds you entirely. It swallows you up, and it pulls you down like quicksand. Now, let me say this quickly. The Bible does not condemn money, but rather warns against the love of money, that money becomes my pursuit in life. Not all evil comes from the love of money, but misplaced love can cause a lot of evil. Let me give you some examples of what coveting money and stuff leads us into. Stealing. People steal because of covetousness, selfishness, cheating, lying, violence, envy, killing, sex trafficking, pornography, all for the sake of the mighty dollar. There was an article in September of this year where they said thieves loot Houston home with body of Harvey victim still inside. That's the nature and the craving of covetousness. But one of the things we can do is flee. We can flee away from that stuff. Another thing that it leads to is debt. Because we want more and more stuff, some people just spend and spend and spend and they get more and more. And the surprising thing is that Americans' average credit card debt, are you ready for this? Average credit card debt for an American, $15,355. Does that not say we have a problem with coveting? I think it does. So the first one is sometimes we need to flee. We need to flee away from this kind of people and that kind of attitude. The second one is follow. Follow. To follow means to chase after here. Here's where he goes on. And he says in verse 11, You men of God flee from all this and do what? Pursue righteousness. Follow righteousness. Chase after it. Do it diligently and earnestly, not haphazardly. Well, I'll make it to church if, you know, I don't have these sporting events and I don't have this going on and I, I'll make it to church. And No, I follow wholeheartedly. Because otherwise you can be pulled into a trap. I follow wholeheartedly. Like an Olympian seeking a gold medal. 
Philippians 3.12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. How do, what, are we, what are we supposed to chase after? Hard, diligently, earnestly. Well, he gives the list. Righteousness and godliness. Righteousness and godliness is what we are to be seeking after. You see, man in his fallen condition, in our fallen condition, we tend to write our own standard of righteousness. Ask anybody. Oh, they'll say, I'm a good person. I I don't hurt people. I'm, I'm a good person. And they are right in their own eyes. But the righteousness that Paul is telling Timothy to pursue is a godly righteousness. It is a righteousness. First of all, this righteousness is not earned. We don't earn it. It is imputed and imparted to us by God. When we confess our sin to Christ and say we're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, that righteousness is imputed and imparted to me. Now I become a righteous person. But how do I grow in righteousness and godliness? Well, it requires reading the scripture and renewing the mind. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind in the scripture. Renewing your mind. This righteousness is a lifestyle in conformity to God's justice, God's law, and God's morality. How do we grow in this righteousness? I'm glad you asked. Obedience leads to righteousness. If I obey the Lord... I will grow in righteousness. He says in Romans 6.16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. If we want to grow in righteousness, we simply walk in obedience with the Lord. And the second way that righteousness is produced in us which is a right behind that, is the Spirit of God produces righteousness in us. Well, how does that happen? The Spirit of God works through the Word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How did Jesus overcome the temptation of the enemy? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. When we come back to the Word of God, the Spirit of God produces righteousness in us. You see, the Spirit of God enables me to tell the truth. I don't have to lie to my wife or be deceptive to my children about what I did or said. The Spirit of God also encourages me to love my neighbor. My neighbor will be touched with my love and see my desire to live at peace with him. The Spirit of God also empowers me to speak with kindness. I don't have to constantly criticize other people. And I can be slow to get angry. The Spirit of God equips me to do good works. I use my spiritual gifts and abilities to strengthen the people God has placed around me. Here's another verse in Romans 8.10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit empowers us. Well, let me move on. Godliness is devotion 
and piety toward God, well-directed reverence, a life that is acceptable to God. The Bible actually gives a warning about having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Where we appear to be godly. We appear to be one thing on the outside, but inside we're not being honest. In 2 Peter 1.3 it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence. But let me move on quickly to these faith and love. Faith and love. Faith is belief in the truth. Conviction. Faithfulness. One of the things that I challenged my son with, Ryan, before he went off to college, I said, Ryan, I said, something you must do before you go to college is you must know what your convictions are. They can't be mine. They can't be mom's. They have to be yours. What are your convictions? And then I said, in regard to movies, what kind of movies are you going to watch? In regard to music, in regard to friends, in regard to dating and relationships, what is going to be your standard for physical contact? You cannot wait and decide that when you get to college. You have to decide before you get there because your friends will decide for you. What will your standard be? What is my conviction? Timothy, he's saying, you must have conviction in your life. The faith and love must be there. What are your moral convictions? The righteous, the Bible says, will live by faith. And then he talks about love, love for God and love for others. Some people say, well, I love God, but boy, I've got a problem with others. Well, the Bible has something to say about that in 1 John. If you don't love your brother, you're walking in darkness. Remember the spiritual battle we are in. Some people get at odds with one another. And we must remind ourselves that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what the Bible says, right? In Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what we wrestle against. If you have a conflict and a challenge with somebody, I can tell you this, it's not flesh and blood. It may manifest itself there, but there's a spiritual battle going on for Satan to cause division in the body of Christ. And God has given us the ability to have a strategy to overcome that. He says to follow righteousness, to follow faith, to follow love, godliness. Let's move on. Steadfastness and gentleness. Steadfastness, endurance as to things or circumstances. I don't know about you, but I hate playing Monopoly when I'm losing really bad. Anybody else like that? I hate playing. I mean, they've got all the property. They've got all the money. You know, it's just a matter of time. They're going to bankrupt you. And it's just like you're just sitting there dying a slow death. It's like, let's just end this, okay? Let's just end this. Um, I don't have a lot of endurance for that. But you know, sometimes Satan comes at us and he attacks us again and again. And it feels like he's trying to bankrupt us. And we just want to throw up our hands and say, well, I'm done. <laughs> I'm through. I'm finished. Uh, steadfastness, endurance. 
as to things or circumstances. John Stott was one of the greatest preachers in the last century. He preached in London. He was a Bible teacher, evangelist, pastor, author, global leader, and friend to many. Hoss Guinness went to visit John Stott on his deathbed because he knew him for many decades. He said he'll never forget his last visit to his bedside three weeks before he died. It was an unforgettable hour. He said more of sharing many memories over the years. I asked him how would he like me to pray for him. Lying weakly on his back and barely able to speak, he answered in a hoarse whisper, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. Wow, what a prayer request. Pray that I will be faithful to Jesus till my last breath. That's perseverance. That's steadfastness to the end. That's what God wants from us. There's no magic to endurance. It's just about continuing. And then he goes on to talk about gentleness, a disposition of meekness, inward grace of the soul, calmness toward God in particular. And here's a hard part of gentleness. I think it's hard. Acceptance of God's dealings with us. Considering his dealings with us as good and that they draw us closer to God. Now that's easy to say when I feel good or when things are going well, but what about when everything's going in reverse? What about when I don't see the sunshine? What about when it seems like there's nothing but clouds? Do I accept God's dealing in my life? You see, a gentle person will not blame God for the persecutions and evil doings of men. We live in a fallen world, an evil world, and evil men do evil things, but it's not God's fault. He's given us freedom of choice. And we should not blame God for what an evil person does. Third strategy, I'm going to go quickly here. Fight for godly character and behavior. To contend for victory. In biblical times, they had the Olympic Games, running, boxing, wrestling. I don't imagine anybody went into the ring to wrestle or to fight or line up at the racetrack to run the race saying, you know what? I'm, I'm doing this race, or I'm fighting this fight, thinking I'm really going to lose, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> I don't think you came in the doors of the church saying, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll fail this week. I think I'll falter this week. No, I think we go in with the idea we're going to win this week, and I hope we do. But we've got to put these strategies to work. We have to fight. We have to contend for victory, contend for the faith. How do we do that? We fight to grow our character and we fight to develop our godliness. We all have character defects we need to develop and change. I said we all have character defects we need to develop and change. We have to fight for that. Make every effort, Peter said, to add to your faith, and he puts the grocery list out there. 
we have to fight. Fight for godly character and behavior. And fourthly, focus on eternity and purity. Notice he says in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. And then here's the focus. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. To take hold of that, you've got to focus on it. You've got to focus on eternity. You have to focus on purity. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame, purity and eternity. It's easy for us to get off track and focus on so many other things that are less important than focusing on eternity, to set our affection and heart on things above. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Let me encourage you to put these strategies to work in your life. The first strategy seems so simple to flee. But you know what? It takes a lot of courage to run because people think you're a coward. But sometimes the best thing we can do, the best strategy Satan or God offers us is to flee, get out of there, get away from there, avoid the evil, stay away from it, and then follow. We follow after those things that God has given us to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. That's what we should be consuming our lives with. And then we fight the good fight of the faith. We stand our ground. We don't give the devil a foothold. And then we focus on eternity. Maybe you're here today and you've already been enticed or entangled or enveloped in some kind of sin that's had a grip on you that you haven't been able to get free from. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He wants to deliver you. He has the power. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, one of the things that the enemy is that I've learned in 20 years of counseling is he lies all the time. He lies to people. And people embrace the lie rather than the truth. We have to come back to the truth. Why? Because the Bible says the truth will set you free. If you are bound, you come to the truth because the truth will set you free. If you've got a hidden sin, bring it to the light. The truth will set you free. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you cannot break free of the entanglement yourself. Come to the truth. Come to the Savior. He can set you free. He died for you. He shed his blood for you that you can be forgiven. If you are a believer in Jesus, and maybe Satan has been throwing lies at you, lie after lie after lie after lie, you need to come back to the truth and say, wait a minute. That's a lie. Let me come back to the truth and embrace the truth. Let's bow for the word of prayer.
We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.